Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, I have a great, great guest on. It's somebody who I've known professionally for many years. It's somebody who I admire tremendously. It's someone who has an incredible, incredible amount of experience in our industry and someone who I very much admire. We have, he's the CEO of the, and uh, CEO and president of the Americas for Engel and Volkers. Anthony Hitt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, Anthony, it's going to be a really great conversation. And, you know, I want to just jump right into it. You have, Let's do it. You have an incredible resume. And, you know, you spent the majority of your career probably with two large luxury brands with both Sotheby's and Engel and Volkers. But can you share with the audience how you actually started in real estate? Uh, yeah, unlike, uh, or excuse me, like a lot of people, I did not start off with the idea that I wanted to be in the real estate industry. I didn't think I wanted to be a real estate agent. It wasn't part of my career path in any way. I had uh, been part of a dot-com startup in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, Missouri being my home state, and had moved to Los Angeles uh, just as the dot-com bomb was uh, starting to go off. And I found myself living uh, in, in uh, a new condo at the beach in Santa Monica, and realizing I didn't really want to leave Santa Monica. And uh, having just bought a, a condominium, having quite a, a poor experience in that, in that process, and having uh, been represented by the uh, number one agent uh, in that particular uh, area, um, I said, wait a minute, maybe this is something I could do. And literally, in a matter of uh, months, went from uh, soon to be unemployed to being a, a real estate agent in, in the Santa Monica, California, a market that I knew very little about other than I love living there. You know, that's so crazy. I had a very similar sort of uh, mistake, if you will, in uh -huh. real estate, because I came from the banking world and when, uh, and I was in New York and um, just really had, I had a home in East Hampton and it was sometimes more difficult to get to the Hamptons than it was to get down to Miami. And I started spending more time in Miami. And so I started buying a lot of real estate in Miami and then realized that the greatest P&L cost was the, real estate, was the real estate transaction costs and the commissions. And I thought, well, I have a lot of free time. Why don't I just sort of grab a, a real estate license and do it for my own portfolio? So I went in really by mistake and then started doing that as well. So it's really interesting how our paths reach us into what was then inevitably our career. It's interesting because there's so many people in this industry, uh, uh, top agents that I know who started with very similar stories, either representing themselves originally uh, or, or just getting into it because of uh, that need to find a, a new career at whatever point in, in life. And, and for me, it was interesting because, the, again, the agent who represented me had done a, what I considered to be a poor job, and, uh, and he was ranked number one. And I kept thinking, well, this guy can be so good uh, or, or so successful and be so bad at what he does, what if someone actually applied some of the practices uh, that I was familiar with when helping other businesses get started? You know, having a business plan, doing market research, understanding, uh, doing a competitive analysis. And, uh, and that, was the, that was the theory that I put into place and, and, and how I started my career. Isn't it crazy how many people, how many agents do not have a business plan? And they're the CEOs of their own company and it is, it's astonishing to me 
And I say it over and over on this podcast and when I mentor folks, and it's the idea that you need to have a business plan to know how you're going to grow your business. You know, I was talking recently at, at an RF panel, and it was the idea of not only should you know your numbers, but that was uh, what you sold last year, but you should know your customer acquisition cost. And everybody looked sure. at me like, you know, I was like, like an alien. And these are, these are basic business practices for almost any successful business, but for some reason, it's not considered standard. I mean, I think I read oh, a few years ago that only about 5% of all real estate agents, and these are licensed agents, probably, I think probably members of the National Association of Realtors, uh, have a, a written business plan. And, and like you just said, this is not just about knowing your numbers um, of when it comes to the, the market numbers, but knowing your business numbers. And also planning in advance for the things that are inevitably going to happen. If you've already planned them when it happens, you're you're ready. You can you can you can tackle anything, including a global pandemic. And you can exactly, exactly. And you can be agile at that point because you know no one can predict this, right? What we're living right, right now. But there is the idea of if it's in your plan, you'll know how to adjust. And you'll know what to happen when we get on the other side of this pandemic in this particular example. But it's the idea that if you don't have a plan, you are just being reactive to whatever situation is happening. If you do have a plan, you can actually be very proactive in the outcome. And, and I'm a good example. Agreed. And, and I'm a good example of someone who, uh, you know, I'm from Missouri. Uh, right. Not the luxury capital of the world. No disrespect to anyone in Missouri. I've got a lot of friends and family there. Um, but I'm living in Santa Monica, California for a short period of time. Uh, a lot of wealth, a lot of luxury. Uh, you know, an entry-level uh, home at that time was, a, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, a home, a condo, a one-bedroom condo was a quarter of a million dollars. And that was about as low as it could possibly be. Uh, I didn't have a sphere of influence. I didn't know anyone. Uh, but by working on a business plan, and that's what I did. I, I took six months and, and worked on getting my license, but at the same time, did my competitive research, uh, researched the industry, uh, learned best practices, met uh, successful agents, not only uh, just in the Santa Monica area, but other parts of the, uh, the U.S., and, uh, and then just put all of that into play, and, and I hit the ground running. I mean, I was number one in my, I had my first transaction, my first day in business, uh, was Monday, September 10th, 2001, meaning September 11th was the very next day. Wow. Uh, even with that, um, I had my first transaction uh, less than a month later. Wow. I had my first five transactions by the end of that year. And uh, I was number one in my, in my office uh, within the first six months and number one in my, uh, my market, in my MLS, uh, within the first, uh, uh, first, I, I had a, a success, my first successful quarter as number one within my first year. Extraordinary. And then you didn't look back. You haven't looked back yet. It's amazing. I haven't. Your, your, your career trajectory is just amazing. But I want to go back to something you alluded to. You alluded to the fact that you had a strong tech background as well. Uh, you came with a company called IntelliPages, which was a really the first yellow pages on the internet, and I'm hoping that the audience members are not too young that they don't know what the yellow pages were, but okay, we'll date ourselves, it's fine. <laughs> and then you worked for a media company. So tell me a little bit about that part of your background, because I think that that really played in, if you start looking at tech and media, you probably had the best 
background to really build your your business plan and figure out how you were going to attack this new career of yours. And, and I think that's what's interesting about most of the people that I've met in this business. You know, we've all had all of these experiences in our lives. Um, and, and when you can take those experiences and find the things that you've had success with, learn from the things where maybe you weren't as successful as you wanted to be, uh, and then figure out how to apply them to your business, uh, you know, that's, that's, again, where success is going to come from. For me, I've always had a, 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 an enthusiasm about, about information, about data. And, and how quickly could you put that data uh, in your own hands so you can have the expertise, the intelligence that you need, uh, but also how can you put that in the, the hands of a, a consumer or now our advisors uh, with a project we call EBI. And in telepages, uh, this, this internet thing, actually before it, was an, before it was a dot com, it was actually, I'm going to really date myself now, it was a bulletin board service. We were looking at how could we compete with the product like America Online sending out a disk that someone would put in and connect to a bulletin board and be able to look up local business information. Uh, you know, kind of a precursor to Google and, and all the other things that we see. And, uh, and so we started in telepages back in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, the idea was, uh, again, a bulletin board service that eventually became a dot com. And uh, we opened and we're, we're profitable, by the way, as an internet company back in uh, 19, oh my gosh, 1999. Uh, providing uh, local business information uh, to uh, to consumers. Uh, uh, again, I remember having to write the first chapter of our business plan, rewrite it to explain what an internet was and what it would possibly become. Extraordinary. I love that. <laughs> That's extraordinary. And so, okay, so, so you have this great background with technology. And so, obviously, in our industry now, that, that's what everyone is talking about obviously you know we're dealing with the global pandemic we're figuring out new ways to communicate with our clients with ourselves with our teams and everything else so tell me a little bit about what your opinion is on technology and how important it is in our industry now well, I think technology is, is uh, I think I'll steal this from maybe Brad Inman as who I heard say it first <laughs> But, but technology, in my mind, uh, is, is like air and water. Um, you know, if you don't have it, you're not going to survive. If you don't know how to process it, you're not going to survive. We need technology. Technology, uh, if, if you don't adopt it, it's adopting you. That's right. Uh, it, it's, it's happening. And, and you've got to understand it, and you have to be able to, to work with it. What I, where I think a lot of people make a mistake with technology is they get wrapped up in in, in trying to um, uh, create it, reinvent it, uh, as opposed to let it uh, help them do their job. Technology is not meant to replace us. And I know there's a lot of the concerns about disruption and, and, uh, and being replaced as real estate professionals. Uh, really good technology helps you do what you do better and faster and more efficient so you can create a bespoke client experience. And as we know that client experiences are what consumers are looking for. Advisors, we're looking for client experiences too when it comes to how we're treated and how we operate in our markets and our, and our brokerages. And so I really believe technology, going all the way back to that IntelliPages idea, is about putting the information that you need at your fingertips and at your consumer's fingertips as fast as possible so you and they can make intelligent decisions. 
uh, you know, we, uh, you, you mentioned my media company, the uh, QCN was Qualified City Network. And in that scenario, what we were doing is we were collecting city-specific information. So once again, consumers could have great information about the cities that they, that they lived in and the lifestyles that they wanted or the cities that they were traveling to. You know, I believe real estate technology is the same, is, is, it should be based on those same ideas putting the information at your fingertips as quickly as possible using AI or augmented reality or, or whatever type of technology we want to talk about in a way that helps you then create a better experience. It shouldn't replace you. It shouldn't be something that we're fearful of, but we should certainly make sure that we're adopting it and adapting to it and using it to provide a, a better client experience. If we don't, you know, someone is going to disrupt you. It won't be the technology it'll be a competitor that knows how to use the technology in their business. And you know, and, and I think that was so well said, it really just is using technology for your own purposes and not being fearful of it. And you know, you, you uh, were so kindly a panelist on a panel that I did a couple of months ago when we did the virtual ARIA uh, conference and I asked you about what your thoughts were of the industry post-COVID and would just like to revisit that here um, because a lot of it has to do with technology and what this is going to look like afterwards. And so would love to just get your vision on that. Uh, I'll just, uh, I, I've been saying this in a lot of interviews lately and I, and I think it might be one of the first places that really kind of uh, came up was in that, in that, on that panel that you hosted. You know, the reality is I don't think things are uh, are happening because of covid that weren't happening already mm. i think covid has 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 advanced it, it it's made it um uh it, it's hastened its reality i think we're probably five years further ahead now than we would have been if there wasn't this covid experience what i mean by that is the idea that we're doing video meetings with our clients and with our family you know we were doing that the technology was there the fact that uh, virtual reality and and, uh, and and video is important now to do showings, uh, you know that technology was already there. Uh, Engelin Folkers did our first 3D initiative, uh, my gosh, back in 2016. Uh, so the, the technology's been there, but as consumers and as advisors, we haven't been so quick to to uh, to adopt it. I think COVID has forced us to do that. What I have also said that's extremely important is while we have changed our way of doing business and we've had to adopt uh, and adapt to all these new ideas, our consumers have done the same thing. So the idea uh, that now that a consumer realizes they don't have to come in and visit with you, you don't have to come to their home for every single meeting, but they can still see your face. You can still use that, that Google Meet technology or Zoom technology, whatever it is that you utilize. You know, they're going to expect that from you now. I do believe there's going to be a period when this uh, this situation becomes back to a, a more stable normal uh, where we're probably going to be craving human interaction even more so. Uh, right. But I think, the, and so there'll, there'll be a little bit of return, but it's not going to be permanent. I think there's going to be several new normals before a stable normal, and that stable normal will definitely include habits uh, that we have picked up because of the COVID uh, crisis that we've all been in now for the, my gosh, five, six months. Isn't that crazy? I know. And, you know, I remember that 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 uh, some of your answers on that panel also, and I thought they were so insightful because we started thinking you're looking at it from a consumer point of view as well. And I don't think we a lot of us finish that equation. We think about how do we communicate with the consumer? Well, 
you know, you need the other side of that. And how does the consumer now communicate with us as well? And, and right. They've been working at home just like you have. They've had to adopt this technology just like you have. Uh, they've figured out a lot of things just like you have. And just like you have, they've probably said, wait a minute, I kind of like this. I might want to use this even when I'm not in this circumstance. And other cases, they're going to say, no, this is not my thing. But they have created those new habits just like you have. And so, therefore, you want to take advantage of that or at least take that into consideration when you're looking at what your service model is going to be for your clients. And even things like you were giving some incredible examples, the idea of a family now being able to view a virtual property together and start talking about how it works or doesn't for them. And the way that you can actually advance a deal further using a lot of these uh, remote deliverables, if you will. Well, think about presenting an offer on behalf of a buyer where in the past maybe you've included uh, a letter or a photo or maybe even uh, a video, but being able to bring them in live and, and do a, a presentation. Uh, think about just what we were talking about. You, we've done our Zoom meetings or our Google Meet meetings where you've got five or six people. Why not have you know mom and dad and the kids all come in for a live viewing of the property hosted by you, the advisor? Uh, or are you the advisor in one of them while the rest of the family is still out and about? You know, the kids can be you know, on, their, on, their, on their smartphones and, and watching and looking through the house and seeing what may be their next bedroom or their next backyard. So, uh, of course, we should, we've been doing that now because we've been forced into it, but there's so many things. I, I mean, I just look at office meetings. You know, we have our shops. We have 219 shops in the United States. Um, I travel probably during normal times or, or previously normal times, 50 to 75% of my time and I visit a lot of those shops. Sometimes I'm in the shop on the day that they have their sales meeting and so I would be part of a sales meeting. Um, I have done more sales meetings in the last three or four months because I can do several sales meetings a day, I can interact with them, I can see their faces. Why wouldn't I want to apply that concept where I've actually been more effective, more available, more um, uh, be able to share my insights with a lot bigger audience. Well, why wouldn't you want to do that as an advisor with your clients? Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it just changes the way that we're going to be conducting business, and in many cases for the better. I think that again, it's the idea of using technology for your needs. The idea to adopt it for when it's to your benefit, and not to be afraid of it. Yep, and sometimes we have to be kicked a little bit uh, down the road to, to get there maybe a little faster than we would have otherwise. Because again, I think this was all happening. I think the way people are living, if you look at the tech industry, you know, there are markets like Minneapolis, I always I go back to that, where in the past you didn't think of it as a tech capital, uh, you had to be in uh, you know, uh, uh, Silicon Valley or you had to be in New York City. Well, and some people still wanna be in the valley and in the city, there's so much other things, a lifestyle that it offers, but you could also be in Minneapolis, or I was just talking to you before we went live with uh, on my family farm and do my business. So the consumers are also shifting that. But that was happening before COVID. All we've done with COVID is, is hastened it. We've made it happen a lot faster and we've been forced to adopt uh, and adapt to it. And again, that's gonna continue even when the crisis is over. I totally agree with that. You know, and, and something you just mentioned, the idea that you're doing a lot more sales meetings and things of that nature. You know, as I was doing my, my research on you and, and, and in the time that we've known each other, one of the things that really does impress me about you, Anthony, is your sense of mentoring others and inspiring others. You know, you, you actually started the American Institute of Mentorship and then 
uh, excuse me, of motivation. And that, you know, it, it, and you are actually one of the most sought after real estate coaches. Tell me three things that you learned um, when you were mentoring others. I, uh, uh, first of all, I, I commend you uh, for the research that you've done on, on me. <laughs> I don't think in my entire career in real estate, anyone has ever asked me about AIM. Uh, the American Institute of Motivation. Well, I'm glad I'm the, the first. And, and, and maybe only one or two about IntelliPages and QCN. So, uh, <laughs> so I commend you again. We all build, we all build on something, Anthony. <laughs> well, th this, is, this is again why I think you've achieved the level of success you have in, in, in your career as well. Because again, you, you, you sweat the small stuff, you look for the details. And, uh, and I do believe that's uh, highly important for all of us to learn from you in, in that. Um, I learned a lot. I mean, let me be very honest about uh, about AIM, and I'm not sure if I can come up with three. Um, but w when I started the American Institute of Motivation, my, my father had given me a book when I was 14 years old. Uh, the book was I Dare You. It was written by William Danforth, one of the founders of the Ralston Perina Company, a St. Louis, Missouri uh, company. And, and, and if anybody on this uh, podcast goes out and finds it, uh, I get it. It's very dated, uh, <laughs> especially if you read it today. Uh, but it was basically about, you know, uh, you know how a, a young boy becomes a man. That was kind of the idea behind it. And there were some ideas in there. Um, and then, of course, I read Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, like a lot of people. And, and I became uh, curious. I, I met a guy um, uh, on one of those bulletin boards who was working on some research at the time. Uh, uh, he was reading a lot of books. He was living in Venice, California. You probably heard of him, Tony Robbins. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Tony Robbins and I uh, started um, uh, chit-chatting or chatting uh, via uh, bulletin boards and kind of got to know each other, had a couple phone calls back when he was really doing his due diligence. He was, you know, that whole story of reading 700 books while sitting in his bathtub in his Venice apartment, you know, that's all absolutely true. He, he did those things. Um, I wanted to learn more, and, and so uh, what I have always learned or always believed is that you learn by teaching. And so by starting the American Institute of Motivation and writing uh, The Essentials of Personal Achievement, which was my, uh, my first program, I brought together a, a variety of experts uh, who started teaching me so I could teach others. And, and that's really how AIM was, was started, was me just trying to learn more about how, how success is, is put together. So what I learned about myself, um, number one, is that I only can be authentic. Um, there's a, a tape, a cassette tape in the first program. It says a message from Tony Hitt. I went by Tony at the time. And, uh, and in that message, it talks about all this life that I've seen and all these things that I've, I've, I've witnessed. And, uh, and that if they would just apply, the audience at that time would just apply these things, they could achieve a great level of success. Well, part of the reason I sold AIM was because I felt like a horrible fraud because the reality was I was still figuring it out and I had not achieved the level of success uh, that I was uh, portraying in, in that program and in those programs. The ideas were right. The, the, if, if someone applies you know, any system consistently over time uh, that's designed to move them forward, they're going to move forward. Uh, but I didn't even know that at the time. And so what I learned about myself is that I have to be authentic. Uh, what I learned about myself uh, uh, at that time is that I'm incredibly curious um, and I, I do want to understand why and how. And what I also learned uh, about myself or, or about us in generally is that you, you can't do it alone. You've got to find people uh, that, you can, that you can banter with, that you can share insights with, that you can challenge, who will challenge you. 
And, and when you put all of those things together, that, that curiosity, that authenticity, uh, and also uh, you know, that, uh, that group of collaborators, uh, and that you're open to actually you know, challenge and be challenged by, that anything is, is, uh, is, uh, is possible. It also is probably a great recipe for anyone's success in our industry. Just think about it, you just have to be authentic you have to be curious, so it's, it's, it's really about service at that point. And it's all about community. You're serving others, you know, you're with your colleagues or you're serving your clients. And I think that those three things translates perfectly into our own industry as a recipe for success. I couldn't agree more. Again, that's where, again, if you, if in this business, whether you're new or, or and just getting started or whether you've been in for a while, I think we've all learned. If you can pull back on those things that you've loved in your life, those things that you've learned in your life, there's a good chance, whether it's media and technology for me or community involvement or church for someone else, you can pull up on all those 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 experiences and build a very strong foundation for real estate. Uh, that's one of the things I do love about this industry. I've had a tendency to get bored uh, with different careers in my life, and and real estate never gets boring. Even though you're you're representing buyers and sellers and working with other agents and different properties, there's always change, and that change makes it very very uh, exciting and and never boring for sure. It changes every day because <laughs> it, and also as we grow our outlook for it changes. You know, it's as though we're looking at it from a different lens. Absolutely. So it's, it's the idea that the more we're growing, the more that the, the picture changes. Absolutely. Right, so, you know, you, you and I had some very similar backgrounds because you were a top agent in the LA market. You were in the field, incredibly successful as you alluded to. And then you went into the the corporate side of the business. I had a very similar background with uh, in in the Miami market, as many people know. And then uh, moved into the corporate field, and then moved to uh, to to London for a while, and and ran the the European uh, division for Sotheby's. And you and I were at Sotheby's uh, uh, for a period of time, and I think we may have overlapped, but we never met at that point. No, uh, no, it's crazy. So, but I'm sure we have a lot of catching up to do because we need to compare a lot of notes. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. I was doing my research. We probably know a lot of good friends in common. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think were the similarities, or one similarity, and one great difference between working in the field and moving over to the corporate side? Um, interesting. Well, I, I still believe that the similarities are that the things we just talked about, that having a good team around you, yeah. being authentic, uh, having a business plan, having a vision, having enthusiasm, and, 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 and working hard. Nothing replaces just good old-fashioned hard work. Uh, in the corporate world, that's going, to, that's going to help you move faster and further. Um, and, uh, and, in, and being an independent uh, agent, uh, advisor as we call them, uh, is going to be the same. I think that's the, 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 the big similarity is that you know, focus and hard work will get and, and doing something consistently correct over time is going to give you success. Um, and because there's, you know, people say, well, there's politics in corporate. Well, there's politics in, in, uh, in your local life. real estate market. So, I mean, all, and in life, exactly. So, so those are the same. The, the, the biggest difference, and, 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 and this is going to sound like a laugh line, but it's true, is I, I can have a weekend off and I can go on a vacation and not have to use my cell phone. 
Um, and, and that's the, you know, that's the, the thing. I, I do have a team around me and I had a team around me when I was selling real estate, but I have found that my best clients always wanted me. And so if I was laying yeah. on a beach in Maui, I still had my cell phone connected to my ear. Uh, you know, on the weekends, you know, weekends were never weekends because you had the open houses going on, you had the showings going on, you know, there was, it was a very active time. So the, the real difference for me is, is just the schedule. I still work an enormous number of hours a week, uh, probably more than some would think was healthy. Um, I still, you know, sleep less than I probably should. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I have the ability to take off a weekend. I have the ability to turn off in a way that I was never able to do as an agent. And I did it better than most, I'll, I'll tell you, when it comes to turning off. I, I didn't believe in working all hours, 24 hours a day. But when it came to having time off for myself on weekends, I was not good at it. Well, you know, I, and I think that that comes back to um, us probably being the same person. It's, uh, it's, it's the <laughs> idea that there's a lot of that is important, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, and it works again, and whether you're, if you're I, I'm, I'm guessing that most of your, our audience right now is, is our real estate professionals or mortgage yeah. professionals or industry professionals. But we could do this same event and play it to a completely different uh, group of professionals, whether it be in hospitality or technology or insurance or whatever that is. And these same principles would apply. And I think sometimes we need to remember that, that yes, we are special and what we do is important, but there's a lot to be learned outside of our industry uh, that, can, that applies here. And there's a lot of things that apply here that would work outside of our industry as well. It's and all those, about that. And those who do that. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. So speaking of that, let's talk about, you know, you had a lot of experience in a lot of different sectors as we just talked about. And I'm curious, Anthony, for you to tell me what's the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career? It doesn't have to even be about real estate, but what's the one lesson that really stands out for you? Um, I'm always curious to how to, how to word this, but you know, we, we've heard this in the technology sector a lot, but you know, fail fast and fail often um, is definitely something that, that comes to my mind. I've learned, I mean, again, this is all cliche, we've heard it before, but I've learned more from my failures than my successes without question. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I do believe that failing is, is important. And, and especially when you have the ability to, and none of us feel like we have the ability, but fail spectacularly a few times. Um, it, will, it will make you a better human being. It will make you appreciate the better things in life. Uh, it will make you smarter. It will make you fear doing it again. So you will be better the next time you're going about it. So, so fear, fear spectacularly, fear fast, fear often, um, and uh, would probably be the one that, uh, so yeah, our fear, I said fear, but fail. Uh, fear is not necessarily a good part of this. Fail, <laughs> fail, fail spectacularly. Uh, fail uh, uh, fast. Uh, you know, fail often. It reminds me of you know Thomas Edison used to say you know I didn't fail I just found ten thousand ways it didn't work first. Exactly, and I believe that's that that's that's a great lesson. That's a great quote actually. But no, I'm I'm a big believer in that idea. If you're not taking those risks, if you're not trying new things. If you're, if you're petrified that if you fail that it's going to hurt you, uh, most people's failures only make them stronger. Uh, they, they, and people relate to, the fear, uh, to those failures. Uh, when we hear about great pe you know, people, whether it be Abraham Lincoln or Henry Ford or on and on and on of, 
of people who have had these spectacular failures or bankruptcies. You know, it's, it's, it's always as a part of their story coming to great success. And so, yeah, that would be my, 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 my biggest lesson is uh, I'm not, uh, I don't like failing. Don't get me wrong. Right. I hate it. Um, <laughs> but, but don't be afraid of doing it. And if it happens, you know, learn from it and then get up and go again and again and again. And uh, ultimately, um, oh, I'm still failing. You know, we still come up with things that aren't quite right or we haven't gotten done. Uh, but I actually kind of look forward to it because it's like checking off another box. That's right. That's right. And I think the key part of that is not just to fail, obviously, but to learn from it. So absolutely. that, you, yeah, you don't fall in the same oh, hole. Oh, absolutely. If you're going to just keep doing the same old thing over and over and over and failing and failing and failing, that's not going to work for you at all. You've got to learn the lessons. Uh, and, and if there's certain things you think, why am I doing this again? Why am I failing again? The universe is telling you, you haven't got it figured out yet. So figure right. it out. You know, fail at something new. If you're failing at the exact same thing over and over and over, uh, and the failures are only getting bigger, you're probably not doing it right yet. Make a left turn. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. So if you could give someone a piece of advice entering the business today, and I know the business has changed dramatically from when you and I both started, but somebody entering real estate business today, what's the one piece of advice? Specialize. Don't, don't be a generalist. We have so many generalists in this industry. Generalists never make as much money as a specialist. They're never sought after as, as a specialist. They're never quoted in the interviews. Be a specialist. Find whatever your niche is going to be. And if you don't want to know whether I want to focus on equestrian properties or working with CEOs, do the one that has worked for most uh, all of us who've been successful in this business. I, I know it was for me. Find a geographic territory. We can call it a farm or whatever you want, but find that geographic territory and become the absolute expert in that territory. Know every number, know every name, make sure everybody in that area knows you and you will have success. Um, the idea of just chasing deals all over the place, uh, just trying to get the next deal, that it, that's a very dated way of doing business and it's not what you or your, it's not going to be, it's, it's not scalable. Um, uh, and ultimately, we know the consumer's data tells us, consumer data tells us over and over, consumers want a specialist, they want an expert, they want somebody who knows the market that they want to live in or that they're selling in better than anyone else. And the only way you can do that is to be a specialist. You know, you, you could probably sort of like see the smile on my face because it was when I was running my team in Miami um, and we were just uh, an elite team. This was 2005, so this was pre-crash. And so our average sales price was probably about six and a half million dollars. And we were just focused on the top 2% of the market. And I had come from a, from a banking world and I was with Deutsche Bank for 10 years. And so when I came into this and I was running this team, for me, it was the idea that if somebody wanted a farm area, they needed to do a presentation to the rest of the team. If somebody asked a question they didn't have the answer to, I didn't give them the farm area. And the idea was that they needed to be the expert. And if they weren't the expert, it wasn't just me giving them a hard time. It was the idea that we were competing in the ultra luxury market and the competition was fierce. And if somebody was coming in from a foreign country, they needed to know that you were the expert. They needed to know that they that any any question that they had, you had the answer to, or else they can go to the competition and do it. So it was the idea of of specializing was always what I touted. 
And it was, and I think that it's really a, a, a very, very insightful piece of advice for someone entering the business today. It doesn't change. It, it really doesn't. And, and whether, and that's, I think the last part's the most important. People say, well, that's kind of a dated idea. Yes, it is because it has worked. I can, I can, you just mentioned your success story with that. I can go through um, agent after agent after agent, agents I've coached, agents I've, I've met along the way. And if you dig deeply into the story, you're going to find they are specialists. They may not even know that they're specialists, right. but they have been specializing. And uh, the geographic market area, the farm, is probably the easiest thing to, to go after. But whatever it is, find it, stick to it, and make sure you are the master. It will make you stronger on a listing presentation. It will make you stronger with buyers. It'll make you stronger when negotiating with other agents. It will make you less stressed because you have all of the answers when you need the answers. It's knowledge is power, specialization is knowledge, is power, is success. And then you just become the expert and people come to you. Of course. Right. So I know, Anthony, that you're also, you're very humble, but you are very philanthropic. And I wonder if you would just share some of your efforts in that area with all of us. Um, I'm gonna start off with a kind of a philosophy of mine. I think if you're, if you're philanthropic, so you can have a great answer when, when, when Michael Valdez asks you this question, <laughs> uh, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, I, I've been involved, you know, Anglin Folkers, uh, my, uh, my, my husband's little brother was someone who was served by the Special Olympics uh, back in the 80s. He was an athlete for Special Olympics. And a lot of members of our headquarters team have great stories of their families uh, being affected by Special Olympics. And so Special Olympics has become an organization that, that Engel and Volkers works with uh, uh, throughout the Americas. Uh, but I've just always been a big believer of giving back to the people in the communities uh, who have served me well over time or that I've been a part of over time. And, uh, and I've looked for ways to do that, whether it be you know, financial support or volunteering. Um, you know, I've, just, I've just done that. And it's because it's the right thing to do. Uh, I, without question, however, uh, you know, do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it because it's something that, that um, you know, touches your heart or your life or has touched your life and your family in some way. Uh, but you will find it will be good for your business. Again, if you go at it from that reason to begin with, I don't think it's going to work. But if you, if you will find that you will meet people who will appreciate um, you and what you're doing and, and that will be good for your business down the road. And, uh, and, and so that's really my, my thoughts on that. Just, just give back to the people in the communities that have given to you uh, or that you have some, some you know, connection with and, uh, and do it for the right reasons and the, the, the business reasons will probably follow. And it goes back to your first thing that you said a little earlier, just being authentic and being really doing it for just the right reasons. Agreed. Be yourself. Yeah. So, I, I tried. I, I learned that the hard way. I mean, uh, you know, first of all, I'll go back to, I was telling you when I, uh, American Institute of Motivation, you know, that I was projecting myself as this great success story when I, when I wasn't yet. I remember uh, I sold radio advertising for a small market radio station uh, for UWKRP in Cincinnati fans. I kind of modeled myself after Herb Tarlick, the uh, salesperson, complete with Madras uh, pants and Madras ties occasionally. Uh, <laughs> I need to see those photos. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, fortunately, we didn't have smartphones that took photos of everything at the time. Right, right. <laughs> I, I, I was there, and I could only imagine how bad and how silly that really worked. But I did stand out, not necessarily in a good way, 
but I was, I was, you know, I was 18 and 19 years old. And so I did everything I could uh, to, to, to look older and to dress older and, and I wasn't authentic. So there's so many times that I wasn't authentic in my life. And, and when I, uh, uh, when I learned that authenticity and being who you are and celebrating who you are, uh, you, you just connect on a, on, a, on a completely different level. Don't try to be all things to all people. Just be who you are and you will attract some incredible friendships and some incredible relationships that will help you, you know, grow the life that you want uh, and, the, and the business that you want. I think that's a beautiful statement. And I just have one final question for you. And this is one that I like to ask the majority of my guests. And it's one that they cringe at first. And then, uh, and then we have oh, some great. Really great philosophical answers about it. Um, what would you like your legacy to be? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I told um, you cringe at first. Yeah, I'm, I'm, cring I'm cringing already. <laughs> I feel like I'm too young to think about your legacy. But those are famous, uh, famous last words. So, um, you know, just someone who 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 cared deeply about our our, our planet and our community um, and, and I know how this already sounds as I'm starting to say that um, and and who really worked hard to make a difference where where I could uh, you know I'm, I'm a big believer that real estate is you know is the centerpiece of our communities uh, you know, owning homes and renting homes and living in those homes uh, and we're the people who help people do that and, and if I can be one part of helping that industry evolve uh, and, and be better and attract, uh, you know, even stronger people and help the people who are uh, in it uh, be even better, you know, that would be, that would be pretty exciting. I'm, uh, you know, it's interesting how our lives take us from, from where I started in central Missouri to where I'm at now in an office in Park Avenue working for Angle and Folkers as a luxury brand. Uh, but, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I would say that's it. Just somebody who, who cared and who constantly tried to raise the bar and push other people to do the same thing. Well, I think you've accomplished that. I think you've accomplished that already. And you are such an amazing person, Anthony. And, you know, you and I are really just getting to know each other now, but I've known you professionally. And, you know, you, you make a difference in a lot of people's lives. And, you know, you're a good man. And you really do things that, really just elevate others and 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 you come from that authentic place and it, it it's just a pleasure to know you and and really thank you for participating in this today and for spending time with me and having this candid discussion well again michael thank you so much for inviting me it's it's been a pleasure i will tell you this interview is not like many that i've done so i i always like it when somebody takes it uh takes it further and gets out of the box and this was this was great i really in, enjoyed it and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to getting together and sharing a few more uh, of our, our past stories. I do think there's a possibility there's a brother from another mother kind of thing going on here. I, I, I'm certain of it. I'm certain of it for sure. And we're going to do that sooner rather than later. And, Take care, uh, sir, and be, and be safe. Anthony, likewise. Thank you. And thank you for all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you.